I'm going to read from verse 14 of Mark chapter 9 down to verse 29. Our Lord has just descended from a mountain that we usually refer to as the mountain of transfiguration, where with a, a small number of his disciples, uh, he had revealed something. God had drawn back the veil and shown the glory that belonged to him as the incarnate Son of God. And now he comes down. He comes to the disciples, verse 14, and saw a great multitude around them and scribes, those are the Jewish teachers, disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it's, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's, been thro he's thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. Jesus said to him, if you can, believe all things are possible to him who believes. And I think that's the better sense where the emphasis is. The man says, if you can do anything. And Jesus says to him, if you can. Is that really your question? If I can do anything? Man, believe. All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house... His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Lord, teach us faith this morning, we pray. Give us faith and give us stronger faith. We cry even now. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Prosper us in our souls, O God, as we consider the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want you, as much as you can this morning, to put yourself in another man's shoes. It's the father of the boy here in this history concerning Jesus Christ. 
I want you, as much as you're able to, to look through his eyes. I want you to feel with him as you are able from your heart. I want you, as much as you can, to enter into his experience. The father of a boy who from his childhood has suffered these fearful and self-destructive afflictions, the result of demonic influence upon his mind and his body, and who has begun to think that maybe, just maybe, there is an answer to his problem. I want you to begin by thinking of the pain of a problem that up till now no one could solve. The pain of a problem that up until this point no one could solve. Teacher, wherever this spirit seizes my son, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Now, the disciples, if you can go back to chapter 6 and verse 13, they had been sent out already by the Lord Jesus Christ at this point. And they had gone out preaching and teaching, healing, and casting out unclean spirits. And this man has had his hopes at least temporarily raised, because now he's dealing with the, the disciples who have done some of these wonders. And it's just the kind of thing that his son is going to need. His son has this evil influence upon him. And wherever it grips him, it throws him down. He becomes rigid. He foams at the mouth and he gnashes with his teeth. And he'd hoped that now he might be able to solve the problem. But he can't. He's brought the boy to the disciples. And they cannot cast out the evil spirit. It's not perhaps unlike that woman with the flow of blood. Do you remember her? For years she'd suffered from this flow and she'd spent every penny that she had on the doctors. Some of us have those ongoing afflictions in body, don't we? And we go to this doctor and we go to that specialist and we turn to that consultant and he refers us to somebody else and we undergo this procedure and then we have that done to us and then we try a new medicine and then there's an experimental device and we're as sick at the end of it as we were when we began it. Who is able to help Think of this father, the boy that he's had in his arms, the lad who's grown up in his home, maybe by now a, a, what we call a teenager or a, a young man, and still these things are happening to him. And not even the disciples are able to help. It's the pain of a problem that no one could solve. But it's also the hope of a problem now that maybe Jesus will address. O oh, faithless generation, verse 19, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. There's the first note of real hope after the dashed expectations of these disciples. Bring him to me. Christ grieves not because the situation is so terrible, although no doubt he is as so often moved with compassion for the father and the son, as I think is revealed as we move forward. What really grieves Christ is the response to the situation. 
This is a faithless generation. Where's your confidence? Where's your trust? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And then those words, bring him to me. This is not now the follower. This is the master. This is not now the disciple. This is the teacher. And maybe having had his hopes temporarily raised and dashed, now this man is beginning to think, well, maybe then this Jesus can do something about it. But then you've got the shock of a problem that only intensified. They brought the boy to Jesus Christ. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Even toward the end of this, when the Lord Jesus begins to deal directly with the spirit, the spirit convulsed him greatly, came out of him, and he looked like a dead man to the extent that people said, he's dead now, you've killed him. Now we know something of this in our own spiritual experience. This is tragically typical of a lot of spiritual battles when darkness first comes into contact, not just with light generically, but with divine light, with the light of the gospel, with the light of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. When this boy, possessed by the evil spirit, and I should point out that I'm not suggesting that every battle and struggle is caused by demonic possession of some kind, But here is something emblematic. When this demon-possessed boy comes into the presence of Jesus Christ, it doesn't get immediately better. It actually gets immediately worse. And it gets worse at least twice. Do you know what that's like, Christian? Have you ever undertaken individually? I will now join battle against a particular sin. I'm going to fight against this wicked habit. I'm going to strive against this sinful desire. I'm going to stop speaking like this. I'm no longer going to think like this. I'm no longer going to act like this. What typically happens? How quickly? Isn't that the very moment that you start sinning in the very way, or at least being tempted in the very way? And sometimes specific temptations I'm not going to look upon any unclean images any longer. And it just so happens as you're walking to catch the bus or the train or or whatever it may be, there's a, a magazine or a newspaper and those images are plastered all over it. I'm not going to get angry. I want to overcome this sinful rage of mine. And you're provoked within the first, you know, you, you get out of bed and there's a random piece of Lego or something, you stand there, oh, can't believe. How far did you get? So often the very points at which we're saying, now I want to deal with this, I'm going to pray against this, I'm going to ask God to help me. And that's the very moment that we wade into the kinds of things and and prompts that bring that trouble right into our faces. And we can be utterly hopeless at that point. Happens when we're trying to deal with sin in one another. Brother... Can I talk to you for a moment about the pattern of anger that you've been... How dare you talk to me about my anger? What makes you think I'm an angry man? Sister, I couldn't help noticing that in your dealings with a few people recently, you showed a measure of pride in the way that you... Pride? Me? Who dares to imagine that I'm a proud woman? The moment we start to deal with it, The moment you and I start to be dealt with, 
Those can be the very things that erupt out of our souls as soon as the darkness comes into contact with God's light. Happens in sermons, happens in churches. We've had a rough couple of years. We've had a number of strifes and griefs. Can anybody remember the book that we were studying in our adult Sunday school class when all those problems first erupted? It wasn't nine marks. It was John Owen on the duties of Christian fellowship about how Christians should act in love toward one another in the congregation, about the respect and the affection that ought to be afforded to faithful pastors and the service and the love and the ministry that ought to be communicated to God's people. My friends, are we surprised that while studying that book, we started to face those battles? I'll tell you honestly, there are sermons that I sometimes dread preaching. It's there in the word of God. It's something that we need to deal with. I know that I can preach against sin that I'll be fighting against, either in the study before I even get into the pulpit or within a few hours of leaving it. I know that there are issues that I address from this pulpit and within hours or days they'll be the very things that are bedeviling the church you say wasn't it meant to deal with it yeah why do you read a book about love to God's people if not to stir up love why do you deal with sin in your heart or someone else's if not to try and promote holiness why do you Preach what you preach, if not to try and pursue the cause of Jesus Christ in this place. And my friends, what happens in here and among us? The very things that we're seeking to deal with get worse. The very sins that we're exposing seem to rise up and assault us. The very battles that we've been fighting become intensified. It's the nature of spiritual warfare. In times when God is pleased to move among his church in a particular way. Sometimes we call it revival. Do you know what usually happens in revival? Preachers get assaulted, persecuted and killed. Churches divide. When the word of God begins to come with power, it begins to deal with sin. The light shines, the darkness is exposed. and People get angry. What happens through the Acts of the Apostles, when those men go and preach the word of God in power and with the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, people are saved and everybody else tries to kill them. The preaching of the gospel doesn't bring peace. The preaching of the gospel stirs up the enmity of hell and brings the light of the gospel to bear on sin. So often... Are those very points where we are seeking to pursue godliness. Those points where we're longing to see God's kingdom come. Those issues where we're pleading and praying in ourselves and for others. Oh God, let me now do something about this. That's when it feels as if the temptations are fiercest, the assaults are cruelest, the trials are darkest, and the challenges are hardest. My friends... When spiritual darkness is exposed by spiritual light, 
when the works of the devil are brought into contact with the Christ of God, there is strife. Now look at that through the eyes of the Father. Bring him to me. Look at him now. Fitting in the dust of the earth. Gnashing his teeth, foaming at the mouth, wallowing in the dust. Can't you do something? I wonder how he felt when Jesus actually did speak. Dead? I brought him to you for life? Everybody's saying he's dead. My friends, can you imagine being in that situation? It is not unlike what we face as Christians and as a church. And then add on to that the grief of a problem that has long endured. This has been happening from childhood. This isn't just an overnight thing. This isn't a temporary blip. This isn't a down day in this young man's experience. Often, again and again and again, the destructive antagonism of the realm of darkness has made itself known with regard to my poor boy. Can you imagine what his body looks like? You've seen scars from flames, haven't you? Often he's been thrown into the fire. This boy's got scars and scabs on his body from the times when he's been physically hurled into the fireplace and into the water. You wonder what that might have done to his lungs, to his throat, to his brain. The aim always to destroy, to destroy. We've had to drag him out of the fire. See the images this week of that man who ran onto a, a tennis court and set himself alight? The people rushing to him, trying to put out the flames that he'd lit in his own flesh in order to, to create some uh, publicity for his cause? People running because there's a man in flames. A father sprinting because his boy's in the fire again. A dad who hears another splash in the cistern, in the well, in the pool, in the river and runs because it looks like his son is almost holding himself underwater and he's got to drag him out and pump him dry. Self-destructive abuse has been the horrible norm of this young man's life and the father has wept over it again and again. The whole life of this family has been marked by the misery of this spiritual affliction. That's the pain of a problem that no one could solve. I thought maybe the disciples could help out. No. Then I hoped that maybe Jesus might be able to deal with it. Bring him to me. And as I do, everything that's most repugnant about this seems to explode into new life. And it's not the first time. This has been happening from childhood. And often he has thrown him into the fire and the water to destroy him. But. But if you can do anything. Have compassion on us. 
and help us. That's the plea of weak faith. Do you hear the faith? Do you hear its weakness? If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This man expects Jesus to be merciful, but he's not sure if he's mighty. He anticipates that he'll feel pity. He can't be confident that he'll show power. His faith is flawed. His faith is feeble. It's conditional. If you can do anything... Well, maybe even now, maybe at the 11th hour, maybe even with this now explosion of further antagonism and intensity. I know you feel that this is a bad situation, but maybe you'll be able to do something about it. The Lord Jesus responds to weak faith. And in a few brief words, he rebukes his unbelief. He commands him to believe. He instructs him with regard to this faith. He encourages him to put his trust in the Lord. He exhorts him not to look so much at the circumstances as to the Christ to whom he has brought the boy. If you can, if you can, man, do you know to whom you're speaking? I am the Christ of God. I am the incarnate son. I am the one who's just been on the mountain in the presence of my father. And while my disciples looked, Moses and Elijah came to speak with me as the glory that belongs to me for a few moments burst forth and the father's voice was heard. This is my beloved son. Hear him. If I can. Why so doubtful? Perhaps he might have used now across the language of Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O soul? Why are you disquieted? If I can, believe. Believe. All things are possible to him who believes. Look at me, says Jesus of Nazareth. Look at me, says the Son of God. Bring him to me and believe. All things are possible to him who believes. The plea of weak faith. Maybe you can help. The response to weak faith. You need to believe. The assault on weak faith. doesn't come from Christ now. It comes from the man himself. Notice how he responds in verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's weak faith fighting, isn't it? I believe. I do believe. But, oh God, help my unbelief. I'm looking at my son. I'm looking at your disciples. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at this torment. I'm looking back over the years. I'm looking at all these things. Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. This is feeble faith, but it's feeble faith fighting. He asks the Lord to help him overcome the very unbelief against which he is fighting at this point. Now, my friends, are we standing in his shoes? Do we understand what it's like to be in a situation like this father? Perhaps you are here and you're facing this morning the pain of a problem that no one can solve. 
You've begun to hope perhaps that Jesus might address it. And maybe things are getting worse. Everything you try, everything you do, every effort you make, even now seeking the face of God seems to make things harder and more difficult. For some of you it may be battles that you've fought a long time. Long extended difficulties personally, in your families, in the church of Jesus Christ. I believe. Help my unbelief. My friends, with the things that you and I face as Christians and as a church, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. That must be the command that we obey. When I try and do this in my own strength, when I look to, to, to lesser mortals, lesser men, no help will I find. Bring it to Jesus. And bring it to Jesus with this language. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, what are the kinds of things that you and I might need to bring to our Saviour with this kind of language, with this kind of intensity, in this kind of battle? Lord, I believe that the foolishness of preaching by a weak vessel is your appointed means of accomplishing your kingdom purposes. I believe that the foolishness of preaching, that the speaking of the good news of Jesus Christ by a man who in himself is weak and foolish, who often goes astray himself, who is as dependent upon the grace that he proclaims as anybody to whom he proclaims it. I believe that when that good news is made known faithfully and fully, that you are able to build your church and that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Oh, Lord, help my unbelief. My friends, when the charges and the slanders and the accusations come in, I think of a man years ago who was told over and over again by several people in the congregation which he served, you know what, Pastor? No one's ever going to be saved by your preaching. You know what happened over the next ten years? For most of them, sometimes once or twice a month on average... Men, women, boys and girls were converted. A friend of mine said to me recently, you know what, when they say to you, you're wretched, you're worthless, there's no value in what you say, it does no good to anybody. You know what, maybe you are just the kind of preacher that God might be pleased to use for his glory and not for yours. Glory in your weakness. Glory in the slanders, glory in the accusations. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe that the simple preaching of the gospel is your appointed means of accomplishing your purposes. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe that you raise and equip and employ faithful and fruitful preachers from the most unlikely candidates. I believe that not least because in the Bible there are men like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. There's a man like Saul of Tarsus and persecutors have become preachers and pagans have become proclaimers, and atheists have become declarers of the very God that once they denied. So I believe, Lord, 
that you can find your servants and you can thrust them out into the harvest field. I believe, O oh God, that you can take men who are utterly in themselves unworthy and your strength can make them what you desire them to be so that they come to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am and that grace was not in vain toward me. Lord, help my unbelief. When I look at a church that seems to have so few preachers and so few teachers, Lord, I believe that you can raise up men to speak your truth. And I believe that you can thrust laborers into that harvest field and make them mighty in reaping souls. Not just that there can be reapers, but that the field is white unto harvest and you can send out a man into the churches and into the community around the church buildings to speak this truth and that rather than men and women always dismissing and denying and deriding and scorning and laughing and mocking and slamming the door in our faces that maybe one by one or two by two or four by four that people will actually start to say tell me more about this Jesus I believe that when the gospel is preached in the open air, rather than people spitting as they walk past, they might stop and listen, and the five might become ten, and the ten might become fifty of men and women and children who are listening with rapt attention as the word of God is being preached. And while some of them start to spit even harder, and while some of them find fruit from the market stalls to throw, and while some of them begin to bring out weapons if they could to, to destroy what's taking place, that some of them will be crying out, what must I do to be saved? Lord, I believe. Do you? Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe that all kinds of dead sinners can be raised to newness of life by the operations of your Holy Spirit. I believe that the most pig-ignorant, self-righteous man or woman in this neighbourhood who thinks that they are good enough in themselves can be humbled before God and can cry out, what must I do to be saved? I believe that the drug dealers and the prostitutes, I believe that the gang members and the criminals... I believe that the, the neighbourhood watch officers and the people who live in the big houses and drive the fancy cars, I believe, oh God, that you are able to save them from their sins. I believe, Lord, that there is not a man, woman or child who is walking this neighbourhood who is beyond the reach of your almighty grace. Lord, I believe that. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe that you can save me. Maybe some of you need to start believing that. If, if Jesus can, maybe he... No, Christ saves. Jesus delivers you from sin. When you trust in him, he washes you clean. He clothes you in his righteousness. Do you believe that Jesus Christ can save you? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, that simply by trusting in the Son of God, in his might and mercy, that my heart will be cleansed 
and I will be whole, I will be clean, and I'll no longer be subject to that self-destructive urge of sin that would bring me not to the fire and the water, but to the very pit of hell, if it has its way. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, Lord, that the most stubborn and ingrained sins in me and in others can be overcome and eradicated by your strength. I believe that the battles that I fought for as long as I can remember, that sins that have dogged my steps from before I was converted and have not yet left my side, I believe, O oh God, that you are able not just to make me clean, but to make me pure, to break the bond that those sins have upon me. So that the lusts of my heart, the pride of the eyes, the, pride, the lusts of the flesh, that those things will no longer have the grip upon me that they do. That the lusts, the greeds, the angers that have populated my soul can be driven out by the power of your Holy Spirit. I believe that that angry man can become a peacemaker. I believe that thief can become an honest worker. I believe that blasphemer can become a preacher. I believe that that pornographer can become pure. I believe that that homosexual can abandon their sinful lifestyle and begin to walk a straight course before the God of heaven. I believe that the financial criminal can bring all his money back and say, here I am and I'm giving more back than I ever stole. I'm paying back all the interest and you need to take me to prison because I committed a crime. I believe that the person who speaks lies can begin to speak truth. I believe that my long rebellious son or daughter might be brought back and bow the knee to Jesus Christ as the King of Kings. I believe that for me and I believe it for God's people. I believe that there's not a single person in this congregation who truly belongs to Jesus Christ who is necessarily trapped by a sin that cannot be overcome because that is to deny the power of the Christ who delivers. Not saying it's easy. Not saying that when you start to fight that battle, it won't rise up and rear its ugly head and strike hard and fast and fight ugly. But, oh God, I believe that there's not a single sin in me or in any child of God that I have to accept that I'm just going to live like this for the rest of my life. I believe there's not a member of this church who hasn't been marked by some particular pattern of transgression, iniquity, some habit of ugliness, vindictiveness, cruelty, anger, lust, whatever it may be, that is somehow destined to live like that and to die like that. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe that those who are distressed, those who are sorrowing over their sin, those who are cast down, those who are battered and bruised, I believe that you can comfort them. I believe that you can lift them up. I believe that you can strengthen them. I believe that though they may remain in their afflictions, physically or mentally or whatever it may be, I believe that you can transform their attitudes. 
I believe that the person who's so wrapped up in themselves that they can't see anything but their own needs, who's constantly talking to themselves rather than listening to themselves, I believe that you can convert that man, woman or child and you can turn them outside of themselves, looking up and out to Jesus Christ. I believe that those who are broken in spirit can be made entirely whole. I believe that those who've been weeping over their sins for years can know the joy of sins forgiven. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe that your grace, O Christ, is sufficient for all Christians and any Christians in the most dark and distressing of circumstances. I believe, O Lord, that there is no trial into which I can go. There is no circumstance which I can enter. There is no temptation that I will face. There is no assault that I must suffer in which you will not be with me to uphold me. I believe that over the most extended periods of trial and distress, that you are with me, your rod and your staff will comfort me. I believe, Lord, that you can lay a table for me in the midst of my enemies. I believe that when all seems empty and worthless and pointless and fruitless, I believe that you remain able. If you do not change the circumstances to enable faithfulness, fortitude in the hearts of me and God's people, I believe, Lord, that the most troubling confusions of faith and aberrations of life can be corrected. I believe that atheists can become believers. I believe that people who don't think that Jesus was real can see with eyes of faith the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I believe that people who think that there are one God revealed in three stages or, or three gods or no God can come to believe in the three in one and the one in three revealed from heaven in the scriptures and most clearly set forth in the person of his son Jesus of the son Jesus the Christ I believe that people who think that the world is run by lizard aliens can trust in the God who created all things and saves all who call upon his name. I believe that people who think that the world is peopled by all kinds of spirit creatures can know the Holy Spirit who casts out all darkness. I believe that pagans and witches and warlocks and wizards can leave behind the vileness and the ugliness and the darkness of their occult arts can burn their books and walk in the light <clears throat> and if I believe that I believe that charismatics can become real completists I believe that Anglicans can become independents I believe that pedo-baptists can become Baptists I believe that when the word of God is preached <coughs> even those things that do not necessarily need to divide us, but on which we still think God has spoken. And those great matters of darkness and error, I believe that when your light shines, the truth is seen, <coughs> that there will be a correction of confusion and of sin. Lord, I believe. 
Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe that Christian love can bind together a bunch of people like us. I believe that it can take a group of people who are sinners and saving them by God's grace can bring them to live not with disdain and distance from one another, but with love and affection toward one another. I believe, Lord, that it can carry us into one another's lives and into one another's hearts. I believe that it can open our hands and it can speed our feet, that we will minister grace one to another. I believe, O oh God, that whomever you save, being adopted into your family can become one with us and can learn to love people like us, let alone us learn to love someone like him or her. I believe, O oh God, that because of your gospel, it is possible even for believers to reconcile the most carnal of differences. I believe it's possible for there to be peace and unity in the church of Jesus Christ if men will only hold fast to Christ, walk in his ways and do what he commands us with regard to life more generally and our relationships one to another. Lord, I believe that. Help my unbelief. I believe, O oh God, that the smallest and weakest and coldest of churches, I'm not trying a snide description of us, but I do believe that the smallest, weakest and coldest of churches can be raised to a high pitch of light and heat. I can believe, I believe that a man can preach a sermon one Sunday that makes everybody in the place go, he looks like the old guy. He sounds a bit like the old guy. He's working from the same Bible as the old guy. But there's something new. And that people who have been going along at a cold, dying rate for decades, years, will be stirred from their slumbers. I believe that new Christians who've caught the cold of the people who've been in the church before them could not lose their heat, but rather communicate it as embers when they are gathered together. I believe that congregations that have dragged their feet, I believe that the people who sometimes call and say, what, what do you think we should do now? What hope or what help is there for us? I believe that those congregations can become happy and thriving churches where the power of God by his spirit is known and seen and felt by those who gather. I'm hoping to meet in a few weeks, maybe months now, but somebody told me just the other day of a, uh, a church in a European country. And three or four years ago, it was five or six old people and there was nothing going on. And then a man came who started preaching. And he's so old school, he probably dresses like he's from the 17th century. He preaches usually for between an hour and an hour and a half. And they sing from some crockety old hymn book that they've dragged out of nowhere. And they sing without any musical accompaniment because they haven't got any. And they meet in a place that's too small now because of the scores of people who are standing in and around the building to listen to this man preach his 60 to 90 minute sermons to people who cannot get enough of the truth of God 
in a country that is marked by paganism and false religion. And I believe, Lord, that you can do that. Help my unbelief. I believe, O Lord, that you can convince and convict and convert not just tens, not even hundreds, but thousands of people in a matter of moments. I believe that the gospel can be so preached that under the influence of the Holy Spirit, people who came to mock might stay to pray. I believe that people who've sat for years shrugging off and shuffling off the truths that they have heard may be gripped in a moment by the truth as it is in Jesus and may bow the knee to the Saviour of sinners and call out to him to forgive them, to have mercy upon them. I believe, O oh God, that no church is destined to drift around in the tens or the twenties in their membership. I believe, O oh Lord, that it's possible for every member of a congregation to go out after the morning sermon and say to a friend, come and hear a man who speaks the truth about Jesus Christ. And for the people to come back and the congregation to double in a day. That's what happened when Spurgeon preached at the new Park Street pulpit that first morning that he spoke the word of God. You might say, well, there were 200 people there that morning. It's not a bad start. My friends, there were 400 people there in the evening, and that's pretty good going. Do that for three or four weeks, and who knows what might come. Lord, I believe that the church need not grow by ones and twos every few years. I believe that the church can see a great ingathering of your chosen people because the gospel is being preached in your power. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe that the most feeble and fearful of saints can undertake and accomplish great things in your name. I believe that people who constantly make excuses about what they can't do could begin to believe that in your strength they might do exploits. I believe that people who take a resounding step back every time the call for volunteers goes out will become volunteers in the day of your power. I believe that the people who are occasional attendees on the Lord's Day will become committed to the church of Jesus Christ and will become part of its foundation under God. I believe that the people who often have something more important to do can realise that serving God and Christ is the most important thing they could ever do. I believe that Christians who feel themselves very fearful and afraid can do the very things of which they are fearful and know God's help in doing what God commands, God encourages, God requires, and in that may find their hands strengthened. I believe that people who might even begin to do something, believing it might fail, might enter into it saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, and find that despite their own doubts and fears, God has been with them and God has blessed them. So I believe that there need be no gaps in the ranks of the Church of Jesus Christ. I believe that Christians do step up to fill the holes of those who've gone before, that as older saints have to step back and sit down, that there will be others who will say, now me, my chance, my turn to serve God as they serve God 
in their generation. I believe that the prayer meetings of the church can be a throbbing hive of spiritual energy as a congregation gathers and one after another stands up and rather than merely rehearsing the things that we always say, begins to plead with the God of heaven and wrestling with him, our souls are caught up together and an amen lifts from the voices from the throats of every person present because we have prayed together in the voice of that man, come before God and obtained blessings that will show themselves in the hours and days and weeks and months to come. Lord, help my unbelief. And I believe that living and lively churches can be planted in the most dark and difficult places if you or God are pleased to work in your power. I believe that in some of the places where it feels like we've made no progress, we've had to draw back, I don't believe that the work there is finished. I believe that around this town there could yet be more gospel churches. I believe that we could so overflow that we'd be sending people out to different neighbourhoods and say, you preach there and you preach there and you preach there. And I believe that all of those churches can thrive if God is pleased to smile upon the work and do what he is pleased to do. I believe that we can send out people who will preach the gospel to the ends of the earth and will see sinners saved wherever they go. The church of Jesus Christ in its beauty established in every place. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, if you're a Christian, you believe. If you're a believer, you believe. Answer me this, at least in your soul. Have I said anything that is not true this morning? Have I offered anything to your faith which Jesus cannot do? Do you bring it to him? Maybe that's my first problem. Maybe it's yours. Bring it to me, said Jesus of Nazareth. Bring it to me, said the king. Bring it to me, said the mighty saviour. Bring it to me, said the merciful son of God. Is that what we do first? With regard to all these things, how faithful am I in bringing it to Jesus Christ? I'm pretty good at complaining about it. I've got great skills at moping over it. I can make all kinds of phone calls about it. I can get together with my friends and speak about how miserable and hopeless it all is. But remember, Cooper, if half the breath thus vainly spent were to heaven in supplication sent, how much sooner our prayer and praise would oftener be, see what the Lord has done for me. My friends, we need to start bringing some of these things to Jesus more readily, more fervently, more earnestly than we have done. Do we bring it to him and do we come with faith? 
You might say, boy, I struggle with some of that. I struggle to think that that man could be the instrument of God to do any of those things. I struggle to think that these people could be those kinds of Christians. I struggle to think that this church could be that kind of church and accomplish those kinds of things. Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. What did Jesus say to the Father? Come back when you've got enough faith, lad, and we'll see what we can do. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus didn't send him away. Jesus didn't say you need to stir yourself up a little more. Jesus didn't say when you've got to, you know, you need to be at least 51% faith before we can tip the scales. Jesus saw that the people came running together. And Jesus rewarded the weak faith that sought strength. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead. And maybe the father stands there. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's getting worse. It's looking worse. But I brought him to you. Help my unbelief. Jesus took the boy by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. And when he'd come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Jesus restored the boy. Jesus gave the boy whole and well and pure and clean back to his father who had believed and asked that Christ would help his unbelief. My friends, we know that Jesus is merciful, do we not? Do we believe that he is mighty? You know that he has pity. Will we serve in expectation of his power? Faith will start to act in accordance with itself. How do I really pray? If you can. How does Jesus respond? If. If I can. Christian. Believe. All things are possible to him who believes. Lord, I do believe. But Lord, help my unbelief. Let's take a moment to pray. Each of us in our place. Let us bring to Jesus the things with which we're battling, the sins with which we're struggling, the challenges that we are facing individually and congregationally. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief.
Perhaps you need to ask him for your own salvation. Perhaps you need to ask him that he'll conquer in you some sin. Perhaps you need to pray that your son or your daughter or your husband or your wife will be transformed by his saving power. Perhaps you need to pray that some duty will start being done.